What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Over 6 Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vandenberg, and with me, as always, is the Turf King, Cameron Charlton. Cam, we're back together after a couple weeks off. We got some high energy today. Didn't get the chat last week. Super stoked. How are you, buddy? Oh, I'm not too bad. Yeah, it was a little weird last week. We made it work, though. We got some successful picks out there. We made the fans still happy that we got something out. It was Masters Week. We had to do it. But we're ready for the banter. This is really what this podcast is about. Two guys enjoying some sports talk, having a beer, too. This is what this podcast is about. This is how it started. So we need the banter back. We do. We do. And it's back. So it's been... Yeah, I mean, it's been tough transition-wise for sure. I mean, I kind of lost my studio with the whole move. So still on a temporary system. Um, I mean, you were having technical difficulties tonight with COVID issues with your family. Uh, my, some of my family's been sick this week. Like, it's really just been one thing after the other. Uh, but thankfully, thankfully, we got it all tied together. Um, yeah. How and- unfair is this? So... My entire household has COVID, so I am the one in isolation. Still testing <laughs> negative every morning, but I am the one in isolation because everyone else got COVID. So I am stuck in my room, bathroom, and work. I basically don't leave my bedroom when I get home, sanitize everything, and just go to work, come home, go to my washroom. That's what about it. about food? Yeah, I've been eating out a bunch. I eat lunch at work and stuff, so I don't really eat breakfast, but it's been, it's been kind of terrible. But I'm still testing negative, so all good. I'm avoiding COVID so far. But, uh, yeah, it's a little awkward that I'm the one in isolation in my own household here because yeah. I don't have COVID. It's Yeah, I mean, that is kind of funny. Uh, but, I mean, hey, that's kind of how it is. By the way, I must mention, you're looking pretty good. The the, the golf walking's been treating you well the last couple of weeks. Jeez. Yeah, it, it's been nice getting back outdoors at work and everything else. Uh, yeah, definitely lost a few uh, pounds. I think drinking a little less beer might be helping. But uh, mm. we'll, we'll see how things go. Uh, golf season in full swing soon so i mean when i'm playing by myself i don't drink as near as much as when i play with you that's true and we have unfortunately not had the opportunity to golf together this year uh both of our rounds were you've played twice yeah i played twice this week that's that's yeah well okay so tonight tonight was messy it was a little windy i mean i was hitting a (laughs) six iron into a hole that i usually hit a pitching wedge into i hit a drive about 340 today with the wind uh, and then it started pouring rain sideways, so I kind of just finished it up in two hours, ten minutes for 18 walking, though. Can't beat that by yourself. No, pack that in. Before we do the Masters recap, let's do the over six sports start of the year recap. I golfed last week, and it was windy as fuck, and I played a Lynx course. So, I mean, the nice part about the Lynx course was is that it all the fescue was you know, smashed down so you could find the ball everywhere. But first round of the year, your accuracy, I mean, my accuracy is not very good as it is, but add that in with yeah, like what accuracy? Well, I mean, there's some accuracy, but what I will note is, is that the, all of my playing partners, like there is multiple holes where all four of our balls are on the left side of the green or all four of our balls are on like the right side rough of the green. It's like, okay, obviously we know what, we know which way the wind's going on this hole. I shot a brisk a very brisk 103, my first time out. So, you know, par 70, little 33 over to start the year. I only lost one ball, but, you know, I just hacked it around. The greens were a little fuzzy, so the putting, you know, I definitely probably had 10 strokes gained on the green at least. Uh, but the good news is, is that the driver, the driver, I was eight. I had eight fairways, or pretty close to it, eight fairways, eight just off the fairways. I only had two slices. And I had four, I think I probably had four, which I think, three, three, yeah, it's about right. I have four top balls because I've been trying to hit up on it and I'm just not, I haven't quite got the timing. So four, and when I mean topped, I mean like I legit hit them like 10 yards, maybe. Like it was a The fourth. Kyle Kozai special. The Kyle Splash Kozai special. This the is topped true. ball. Yes. So like I'm really trying this year because I've been hitting down on it, which is part of the slice problem. So I'm, I'm getting more consistency. So that's, I mean, that's the positive besides the the 103. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully avoiding the rain and we're going to play in the cold hopefully Saturday. So look forward to getting the first round in together. I'll be there. You know who was not cold on a Saturday? And that was Scotty Scheffler. Unfortunately. Man, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I way misread Scotty Scheffler. Like I was not giving him enough credit. I like this guy's just been super 
super consistent, and this is why he's number one in the world. But man, he's just an unbelievable golfer. The way he did that, except for the four putt on the seventy uh, second hole to win the Masters, he was just unbelievable. And he's just a likable dude. He's so down to earth. He's so relatable. Uh, he's just talking like so. Saturday night, they were asking him, "So what are you gonna go home and do?" He's like, "I'm just gonna go home, watch The Office, and cuddle with my wife." It's like, all right, cool. As if you and just then, didn't make like millions of dollars too, right? Well, that was Saturday night. So what is he doing Saturday night? And then just you hear him talking about Sunday. And it was just kind of nuts that he was in tears in the morning thinking like, man, like I don't deserve this. I'm not ready for this spotlight. And just hearing his wife talk him down off that ledge and figure it out. And he just went out there and played golf and played great golf. And at time like ended up walking away with that tournament pretty easily, even with the four putt, which as he said, he's like, it's actually pretty awesome to four putt that. Cause it kind of took all the pressure out of the press conference. Cause he was just laughing at himself. He's like, yeah, I'm not getting too emotional in this press conference anymore. Cause I just four putted the 72nd hole. It's true. Now I, I do want to preface me saying he's won millions of dollars on the Saturday. He's won three tournaments this year prior to that. So this guy's got enough money that he can do whatever he wants. He doesn't have to sit at home and do the office, but that's just the kind of guy that he is. And then now my biggest thing. Okay. So I just want to go back briefly. So I don't think that we overlooked Scotty Scheffler. I just think it was super chalky. Like it's one of those things where, you know, we're not, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm sure every golf analyst on the planet was like, yeah, okay. Scotty Scheffler. And it was in the back of our minds for sure. I didn't talk about it because I personally, I thought, Hey, this is probably like one of those tournaments where like, you've had a good run. You've won three to five this year. Like, you know, Masters is a little bit different. The pressure is a little bit higher. And he delivered. And it was super consistent. And and I think the big thing that, in my opinion, was like, you know, sponsored by TSN. Or, you know, the rights, the broadcasting rights in, in Canada were TSN. So, the TSN turning point. The third hole, he chips it in. Like, Cam Smith gained two strokes on him in the uh, in the first two holes. And he chips it in on on the third, and that just changed the whole. That changed everything. Yeah, and another comment on that though, like another turning point there was on eleven. As I said multiple times, Amen Corner will play it in. Cam Smith makes a birdie on the toughest hole all week on eleven, first hole Amen Corner. But then what does he do? He pours the basically the Jordan Spieth hits it in the water on twelve. Just as it looked like there might be a little bit, the door was open a little bit for Cameron Smith to do it. That happens. So. Amen corner did live up to being an impact on Sunday, as I said it was. But yeah, that chip in was massive. That was really when the momentum entirely changed. Scheffler made a point of that. Cameron Smith made a point of that in their press conference. That was the big change in the game. And I mean, it was just, yeah, Scheffler's day. His tournament, once he kind of got hot, it was, he could have ran away with that at times. He was up at six strokes so many times during the entire tournament. And I mean, he's the best golfer in the world right now. And it's insane. He has the difference between him and 10th place in the world is the same as the difference between 10th and 721st in the world right now. That's how many world golf ranking points he's got this year. So it's an incredible stretch of golf. I mean, we've really probably only seen it once or I mean multiple times, but only one other person has had a dominant. We all know who that is. We all know who that is. But even like Jordan Spieth's year in 2015, I believe it was like, it felt super dominant. And what Scotty Scheffler is doing right now is way more impressive and, I mean, yeah, again, you said maybe we're based on the odds. We weren't giving him the credit, but this guy is the best golfer in the world right now. I don't think he's the most skilled, but he's just in a four round tournament. I don't know how you bet against Scotty Shuffler right now. And what's disgusting is, is that he's three years younger than us. Yeah, that's still not true. I haven't seen a birth certificate, <laughs> but there's no way Scotty Shuffler's 25. The guy I, looks like he's 40. I am 25. That's what it feels like. Legit. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, everybody's like oh well he's married i mean maybe he's i mean i was married young i did not look like that at 25 i'll tell you that for free no chance nobody when i was 25 nobody's like oh this cat's 40 this is what makes me so sad about my golf game is i'm three years old three years older and i'm like i don't know probably 10 15 million behind him and and golf rankings yeah you're not even ranked so well okay what I don't know what the what what's the lowest ranked in the world? Like how many rankings are there? I think a thousand. Oh, okay. So I mean whatever. I'm way behind that. Yeah, so I do want to talk a little bit about Sunday. We kind of saw what I was kind of well, I mean, everyone was alluding to. Rory McElroy backdooring a top ten with what's the round of backdoor. The round of the weekend an eight under. He finished solo second. He came out of nowhere, eight under sixty four on Sunday 
at Augusta with a hole out on 18 that was just awesome. And then Marikawa does the same thing right after him from the same bunker. Uh, this is what I said. Like, Rory just starts on Thursday so bad every every major. He's, like, way over par. But then rounds two through four, he's the best in the world in majors. But he just starts so in the hole. And you just saw that 64 that he put down. And I'm like, this is still, like, if Rory gets going, he's the best golfer in the world right now. His high-end skill and his what he can throw down is better than I think anybody. And you kind of saw it on Sunday. But, again, Rory put himself too much out of the way in rounds one and then just couldn't climb out of that hole with the way Scotty Scheffler is playing. So, second, still impressive, but the green jacket still eludes him. Rory McIlroy and I have something in common. We always put ourselves in a massive hole to start the day slash the week. And then, you know, like, so for example, after four holes, right, sometimes I get in the in a bad spot, play a couple of bad holes, you know, triple, double, bogey, whatever. And I'm usually like seven, eight after four. Then I can rattle off like six or seven at like two over par. And then I end the day like 17, 18 over par. Like it's, and, and he does the same thing where he puts himself, as you said, in this massive hole and then plays some of the best golf of his life. Like, does this guy not get a practice round on a Wednesday or the Tuesday? Like, how are yeah. we not, how are we not getting all of this out early? Because at least yeah, when maybe. I golf, I get 20 minutes on the range and then I stink it up for two, three holes before I get into it. Like this guy's probably at Augusta for six, five, six days before. Yeah, but he does this at every major since his last major win in the PGA Championship. I can't remember what year it was. He does this every major. It's not just at Augusta. He just starts out horribly. He did it when the Open was at his home course there in Northern Ireland. He just keeps doing it. And I don't know, does he have to like play a money, like a big time money round on Wednesday to get that shitty round out of the way? Or what does he have to do? Because you see the Sundays that he throws down at majors and he, you're like, okay, man, this is, he's just so impressive, but he can't get it done. He needs to go with like Michael Jordan and put like a hundred K on the line on a Wednesday. Exactly. Something just outrageous. Put something at stake. Like put, I don't know, do like a, like a, the match or something like, Northern Ireland versus the Republic of Ireland. Like, make something meaningful there. I don't know. You're right. I, I, it's too bad though, because you catch yourself rooting for Rory down the stretch and he's five back before the four putt on 18. And you're like, ah, damn. Like, if he had just played a couple strokes better, he would have been in that final group. And who knows, right? Like, if, and, you know, we talked about how the third hole that Cam Smith, you know, gave two back on on um on scotty scheffler it was just a bogey but still gave two back that he gained right off the start like i don't know if rory was in the same position as cam smith or are we talking about a different masters champ here like this is what legit where i'm like you know cam smith if he would have put a little bit of pressure on scheffler like maybe maybe chef i mean he's been cold-blooded but it's the masters dude. Like you put a little bit of pressure on somebody because he didn't have like, like what down the stretch there, he's still four strokes, five strokes. Like as soon as Cam Smith put it in the water, Scheffler basically just had to keep the ball like bogey, like in a sense bogey every hole after that. And he would have won. Yeah. And it was even insane to see him on actually 13, actually go for it. And he was going for it on 15 too. Those shots didn't make any sense with the lead he had. Cause I'm like, that's the only way you can get yourself in trouble. He was playing confident golf, playing his golf, but yeah, exactly. Like, especially 12 ended it. And do we think Rory could have maybe put more pressure on maybe, but I don't know. I've seen Rory uh, explode at uh, Augusta before, so he could have done it again. Last guy who I really want to touch on. Maybe we should touch on Tiger a bit first, but we've got to give Corey Connors some love. Another top 10 T six, three under. He just had another great week. He just couldn't quite figure it out hundred percent, but man, another top 10, three straight top tens at Augusta for the Canadian uh, I just think this his game is so good there. He got a hole-in-one at the RBC Heritage today, so shout-out to that. And I just think the green jacket, he's going to be there in contention for years, and I think he's going to pull one out one of these years. The consistency has been there, and something that the guys talk about who have played multiple Masters as, as opposed to the guys who are debutantes is, which, by the way, you like that? I learned that recently, that they're not called rookies or no. whatever. Debutantes. The, the, I, I screwed up last week i did say that the spectators and they're not spectators no they're patrons patrons. come on yeah as soon as i listened back to the pod i was like wow i can't believe i screwed that up that's disrespectful plug (laughs) what is that no they're patrons which by the way hilarious that you know even on the broadcast they're like obviously they have notes for like oh wow what the ball went into the crowd of patrons and i'm like okay yeah okay i see what i see what we're doing here um 
Yeah, but anyway, debut de- like debutants, right? Like they talk about how you know the more you play Augusta, the more you play that golf course, the more comfortable you get because you know where to hit it. And I actually have a counterpoint to this in a second, but well, not a counterpoint, but another point to add to it. But that's where I think you know CC's had a really beautiful progression and then just for for what he's done at augusta i mean top 10 has really seemed like a lock and he's just again consistently had himself in that conversation and again he's another one of those guys where you know he's a missed shot here and there for being right there like he wasn't again he wasn't that far behind i mean scheffler's obviously out of this world and rory was out of that world that day too um but you string a couple of early rounds a little bit together better get that confidence and you have the experience to get it done so I wouldn't be surprised if he's if he's putting on that green jacket sometime in the next ten years. Obviously, as as the everybody gets younger, it's it gets tougher. And Tiger, if he's playing the next ten years, you never know. Um, the side point before we get on from that though was talking about experience at the Masters and just knowing where to hit it. Terrell Hatton was just teeing off on how the Masters or the Augusta's bullshit because you know you don't get rewarded for good golf shots. And I'm like, okay, so you're complaining. That you're hitting in an areas that you think are good that ending up with bad results. So what that means is that you're actually hitting a poor golf shot. Yeah. Or it's a poorly placed ball. Like this is like me hitting it, like expecting it, like hitting it at a hill by a green, expecting it to roll in and it hits off the hill and goes into a bunker. And I'm like, oh, well, I, I was a good golf shot. I should have been rewarded for that. No, put it in the spot where you know the ball's going to stick and you're going to and put the correct spin or whatever you want to do on it. You're a professional athlete. I don't want to hear any of this garbage, but, oh, I'm not getting rewarded for good shots. No, because it's not a good shot to begin with if you're not getting a good result. Plain and simple. Nobody else was bitching about that. That's the allure and the... Just everything about Augusta is you hear every past champion, everybody talks about it. It's not how good of a shot you hit. It's where your misses are and you can't miss in bad spots. And that's learning the golf course. You see it for years and years and guys just talk about that. That's why the more years you're there, you stop making those big misses. You stop throwing up those massive numbers. You know where to miss on the holes, where to hit it. And yeah, good shots probably don't end up as good as you're hoping sometimes, but that's Augusta. That's part of the masters. That's this tournament. And if you don't like it, don't play. I mean, you're going to clearly play. If you get an invitation to Augusta, you're playing. But at the same time, that's just Augusta. That's the whole allure of this tournament. That's the difference in the Masters. This this is why I really thought that he was going to miss the cut, first of all. He didn't miss the cut, unfortunately. He should have missed the cut, really, because he ended up exploding on the, on the back two days. So, I mean, there's that. But... Like I just found it so childish. That was it. I just found what like just a, just a childish, naive comment. Like, yeah, I agree. I'm really looking really looking forward to getting out of here. Well, then don't fucking come. Seriously, like I'm sure there's plenty of other golfers who would kill. I would go. I'd go and shoot 130 over and be happy. Like get your head out of your ass, dude. Like this is not a right. This is a privilege. And if you really don't want to be a part of this, then don't be a part of it. That's yeah. my rant. Just really bothered me. So we got to do. We do got to touch on Tiger a bit. Uh, he made the cut. He actually looked really good at times for the first two rounds. Rounds three and four kind of went downhill. Round four really did. You could see he was struggling. Uh, the leg was struggling. But to me, I'm taking this as a huge positive. This guy should not have been able to walk Augusta as many times as he did last week. Uh, he should not have been able to play four competitive rounds based on where his leg was. And not only that, he hit some great golf shots. And his golf shot, like his actual golf shot making looked incredible at times. Like you saw some of his ball striking was unbelievable. That's the best ball striker we've ever seen. And it makes me confident, especially you see him ramping up now for St. Andrews. He says he's playing at St. Andrews, he's playing the open super flat course, a course that he's won by six and nine strokes before he's now going to head over to Europe and great Britain beforehand and play in a pro-am beforehand. So he's going to get ready. He's all in for this for St. Andrews and in for the open championship. And I'm excited because I saw enough out of his game where it's Tiger Woods. He's going to feel pretty good about going into St. Andrews where he's comfortable. It's a flat course. The leg's going to be way stronger by then. I feel good watching that guy play at Augusta, even not the best golf, was just still awesome. And I'm never going to count Tiger out of anything. Well, on the crowds that were there too, I mean, like he was, they, they were showing him some love as, as they always do, but especially this time, really, you know, first really big tournament that he's been back since his injury. Um, yeah, I mean, you can tell by the scorecard when his legs started to bother him, 
right? What what was he? 60 he was 60 sorry, 70 74 what was he? Minus 2. No, I'm trying to think of what his scorecard was. But he was low 70s and then he was bad after that. Yeah. High 70s after that. Like it was like 70, it was like something like 70 one seventy four. Then he was like seventy nine, seventy eight, or something like that. Um, and yeah, that's just normal fatigue, and that's fine. I mean, guy made the cut for the twentieth straight year, so you can't really, you can't really blame him. I'm a little sad that Tiger top ten didn't happen, but um, I mean, this is really why I didn't like the Tiger to win at plus forty four hundred or plus five thousand, and like that was just too ridiculous. So, um, but. Yeah, I mean, hey, if he's thinking, if he can put up that kind of performance, like as as you said, his ball striking was excellent. He hit some really nice golf shots. If he can physically, like just physically, get a little better, um, build that stamina a little bit, and go to a golf course that's going to be easier for him to navigate. That's the other thing too, right? Is that golf course is not nearly as challenging um, in terms of the walk for him. So if he's stronger, he's got an easier golf course to do. Not easier condition wise by any means, but but easier to walk, um, easier on his leg, then, hey, I'm not going to count him out of that. I think he could definitely have success. Yeah, that's pretty much all I have to touch on the Masters. Again, it was another great tournament. I wish it was a little more exciting down the stretch, but there was still a little bit of drama on the f- final round. But, uh, again, not a better champion than Scotty Scheffler. This guy is a class act and uh, really relatable and uh, looking forward to seeing what he can do the rest of the season. I'm not betting him at the Open. No. Yeah, well, we, might re- we? we might regret it anyways. I might have to put a unit on it though, because if I don't, then I'm gonna be like pissed at myself because I didn't do it. Like this guy actually could have all a shot at all four majors if he keeps this up. I mean, I feel like nuts. yeah, I feel like we say that about every time somebody wins the first major of the year. You win the Masters, of course you have the this chance. guy's won four tournaments this year. It's not like we're talking about just the first major. No, this guy's. It's not like we're talking about oh how Matsuyama has a chance to win all four. No, like this guy's won four out of six. Like what are we what are we doing here? Yeah, no, it's it's crazy impressive what Scotty Schaffler is doing, and he's number one in the world for a reason right now, and we'll see what he does throughout the rest of the year. Did anybody else you think looked bad in that tournament, by the way? I mean, there was a lot of bad golf in I that. I mean, Spieth didn't, Spieth didn't make the cut. No, 12 killed him again. 12 on Friday killed him. He he needs to get, he like, this guy just needs to use his green jacket that he's got and just go and play 12. Yeah, I... Like, I a bunch of times. Yeah, again, Spieth just looks really incredible around the course at times, and then he doesn't. He's still lost with the putter for some reason. When that putter gets hot, he's going to be near the top of the world again, but it just seems to not be there right now. So unfortunate because I like cheering for Spieth. I love him and Growler. But, yeah, I just don't, I don't see it right now with him. Anyway. Um, Jays? Jays. Vladdy. Vladdy's good. Well, we already knew that. This guy just hit two home runs with, like, one hand yesterday. And that second yep. second home run he hit off Garrett Cole was just unbelievable. It's High filthy. inside, 98. And he's like, yeah, I can take that out. No problem. Hits almost it's nuts. 1,300 feet of home runs yesterday. Hit two dingers off of Garrett Cole. Yeah. And a and a double. And then hit another like home run. Co- yeah. Garrett Cole, like, tipped his hat. And you see that all the Yankees' comments were like, what the fuck is this guy doing? They're like, this guy's nuts. Yeah. And, yeah, he got his finger, got his hand stepped on. He's bleeding all over his own uni, bleeding all over the place. And I love the announcers were like, yeah, they've told him on first base, like, do not put your hand in the base path. And what did he do? Put his hand in the base path. And that's, uh, that's gonna, that'll teach you. But didn't matter. Like, at least the yums gave him time to fix him up. Because could you imagine? He had one home run at a time. Could you imagine if they're like, no, Vlad, you got to go out? Because, because Joe, um, not Joe Buck. Um, what's his name? Who's the Jays announcers? He's a Buck, right? Buck Martinez. Buck Martinez. There you go. I knew it was a Buck. I just couldn't figure out exactly which part of the name it was. Anyway, Buck Martinez was like, well, it looks like Vladdy's coming out of a game. And I'm like, oh, God, why? And they gave him enough time. They stitched them or they taped them up or whatever the case is. And he comes hitting Dinger. Oh, then he hit a double. Oh, then he hit another one. And, uh, yeah, I mean, is he going to hit 60 home runs this year? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the sky's the limit. Was... Ho- is he going to hit 100 home runs this year? Okay, no, that's pushing it. But 50-60 is for sure in the question this year. And the thing is, is like you're, you're starting to get a little worried about the Jays with Te- Teoscar leaving. Like That's going to hurt because this Tapia guy is horrible. 
I don't want to watch another app out of him. And the less guys there is like Teo not in the lineup, the more they can kind of pitch around Vlad. So that's where you start to question. But if the Jays get healthy again, you can't pitch around anybody. So let's kind of hope it goes back to that. And this roster, I just, you can't do anything. You can't pitch to them. And if you don't want to pitch to what Springer, then you have to pitch to Bo. And if you don't want to pitch to either of them, then you got to pitch Vlad and then Teo. It's, it just keeps going and going. Chapman. The pitching staff hasn't looked as good as it is. Barrios looked fine last night. That was kind of very average. Five innings, three and runs. That was okay. You're okay with that start. They got blasted one. at the end too, by the way. Yeah. Like, game, it wasn't like he was bad off the start. No, his game one wasn't, it was horrible. He, I mean, he only got yeah. one out. Manoa looks like a stud though. That guy came in ready to play this year. Uh, everybody else kind of map, but you know, some of the veteran guys will figure it out. Like Gosman, Gosman will figure it out a little bit. Ryu will figure it out. When you have Ryu as your fourth, you're fine. He'll figure it out to be plenty good enough to be a fourth, even in the AL East. I'm not Is that, that cr- concerned. Incredible that he like, they brought him on as like this ace. And then like, what was that? Two years ago. Yeah. And then now they're like, um, okay, actually you're the fourth, <laughs> you're the fourth best pitcher on this roster. Like who's the ace now? Is it, is it Manoa? I mean, you're still going to go with Barrios just because he has a longer track record. And I know it's been kind of a, a rough start to the season, but Barrios has been an ace for a while now. You're still going to give him the nod. But Manoa looks like everyone thought the kind of high-end ceiling for him was a second or third on a rotation. This guy has ace potential. And he's now like, we always thought it was Pearson number one, Manoa number two. No, Manoa's number one. He's the number one pitching prospect for the Jays. Or I guess, I don't even know if he's considered a prospect anymore. But it's not Nate Pearson anymore. It's Alec Manoa. And he's just fun to watch. And I'm excited to watch him pitch next time. And I mean, this team is just exciting. They showed it in game one. You hear, you saw everything that first game where everyone's like, this is the worst home opener in Jays history. And there's been horrible ones. The Jays have been brutal in home openers. Down seven, nothing though. You're like, this is by far the worst one ever. And then by the end of the game, everyone thought it was the best home opener ever. And this Jays team is just unbelievable. The bats are so good. And you can't turn the TV off. They can be down 7 nothing, And you're like, nah, I got to keep the TV on because this offense yeah. is unbelievable. I remember the group chat was blowing up that night. It was like, oh, I guess this bet's dead. I think it was Jays minus one and a half. And they ended up winning 9-7. And like, man, like it just, you're right. You're 100% right. Like it's just, you never count them out. Um, I bet both sides of that game last night, like four or five times, because it was like, Jay, you know, I, I bet Jay's money line at plus plus one fifty. They went up three, nothing. I got offered hundred percent gains on a cash out, took it, bet the, bet the Yankees. They tied it up, cash that one out, bet the Jays. They went up four, three. Like, it's just so fun. Like I, I've never been a big baseball, like gambler, but it's hard not to, when there's a game every night. I think that's like. <laughs> the hardest part is, is like, you know, there's nothing else going on right now. Like, yeah, sure. There's, you know, there's NBA playoffs just around the corner. There's, you know, we, we've got, you know, hockey's coming up in two, three weeks or whatever it is, but there's ball every night, tons of props. It's kind of fun. Yeah. I, I absolutely love it. It's the best thing ever during the Jays season is you just know, like, Oh, I'm really not sure what I'm up to tonight. I'm kind of bored. I'm like, Oh yeah, the Jays are on. They're always on. They play 162 games in what? 200 days. They're pretty much always on, so it's kind of nice to just be able to sit back, watch the Jays, and it's going to be an exciting exciting year for them. I'm just excited to get to the ballpark, enjoy a few beers in the middle of summer with the roof open. I know it's not the greatest stadium, but it's still there. It's still in Canada, and the atmosphere is always unbelievable, so I'm looking forward to that. I know I looked this week, and I was like, what what days did, what, when are the Jays off this week? Like, Is there a three-game series versus the Yanks? And then I'm like, oh, no, they play tonight. It's a four-gamer. Then I'm like, wait a minute, tomorrow's Friday. And they play. They play every day. Yeah, they're back home then, then this weekend. Exactly. It didn't matter, man. They play. They play. What? Ah, whatever it is. Nine, ten days in a row. It's incredible. So anyway, by the way, talking about a picture having a bad style. Robbie Ray got crushed last night. Got taken for like two home runs, like the first like ten pitches or something ridiculous. Like, I kind of am rooting against Robbie Ray. I know it sounds petty, but I'm like, you went somewhere else. You went to fucking Seattle. Like, you can rot in Seattle for all I care. Sorry, it's uh, just me being a better fan. I would have preferred him to stay in Toronto, but whatever, it's fine. Yeah, we we would love to see those tight pants on the mound all the time. We would. Did you see the athletics guy? By the way, he got hit in the butt with the pitch and just popped that popped that booty out. Nope. Oh, dude, you got to look it up. So the guy gets like the pitch throws behind him. It's going like right at his ass, and he's got like 
I forget who it was, but he's got a bit. Of, he's a guy on the athletics. Anyway, he's got a bit of a got a bit of a, uh, a freight train on the back end, and just like popped it up, just absolute booty pop, boop, right in the air, unreal. And it's the guy's just laughing about the clip. It's anyway, super funny. Look it up if you can. It's 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 one of the memes of the year. So Burke, here's a real question: Are you ready for Toronto Raptors playoff basketball? I am, and I'm sick of the media takes already. I'm in a fighting mood today. How can you doubt and not believe in this Raptors team? I don't get it. Like it's James Harden. Really, we're gonna believe in James Harden over Freddie Pascal, Scotty Barnes? Really, to get wins when we need them? No. Yeah, I don't know if that's. Yeah, I mean, if that's the media take, that's a really bad one. I mean, you could argue to me. So Shaq's saying, oh, like, and Shaq backtracked on a little bit, but he's like, yep, Raptors swept right it down. I'm telling you on the Over Six Parts podcast, and today is April the 14th. That ain't happening. Uh, they're not getting swept. I I don't, I would love to bet that. I'd bet the house on it because they're going to win a game. I think it's probably going six or seven. My he- My heart says it's probably the Raptors, but here's what it comes down to. I'll give my take and you can tell me what you think. But really what it comes down to is, is this is a similar series to what happened when they played uh, a couple of years ago. They played the Bucks when they, so 2019, when they played the Bucks, then they were in the Eastern championship. They, the number one job during that series was how do you shut down Giannis? And if you can't shut down Giannis, then how do you shut down the secondary options? Because you have to either accept that you're going to do it and then let the other guys beat you. Or you give him the points that he's going to get anyways and really try to shut down secondary options. So give him 50 points a game, but make sure that the other guys are not putting up 20, 30 each. And they did that extremely effectively. It's the same thing in this series with the Sixers. Joel Embiid is going to be the one you have to worry about. The Raptors don't have a true center. That's the biggest gap that they have on this team right now. They just don't. So they have a lot of really skilled players. Scotty Barnes is unreal. Pascal Siakam's on an absolute tear. I think they have absolutely more than enough talent and enough structure. And Nick Nurse is a good enough coach to win this series. 100%, I believe that down in my court. So it's going to be, okay, how do you slow down Embiid? And or if you can't, so if you can't stop him, slow him down. And how do you deal with everybody else? That's what's going to determine this series. It's not this garbage. Like, as you said, this garbage is about, oh, we got James Harden. Who cares? I'm not worried about that. Like, yeah, he's a really unbelievable player, but like, this is not just, Oh, we got to stop two guys. We got to like, this is that you have one guy who outmatches everybody else. Figure out a game plan for that and go to your secondary options. And Nick Nurse and uh, Fred Van Vliet was asked today about, Oh, well, what does Nick nurse have planned? Like if this doesn't go well, he's like, well, Nick nurse always has a plan. Like it's fucking Nick nurse. And I fully, I fully buy into that. So um, I don't get the hate. It's classic. We've seen it since Messiah Jury has been in this uh, this team and turned this franchise around, we have seen the hate. American media and the Amer- and the NBA in general do not want to see the Raptors succeed, ever. And they have built a team and a culture that Lakers want to steal Nick Nurse away. If that doesn't tell you what Toronto Raptors basketball is, then I don't know how I can help you. So if all these teams are trying to emulate what the G League does, what their G League team does in the 905, they want to steal Nick Nurse. We're doing something right in Toronto that other teams want. So to say that the Raptors have no chance in this series, if you're the Sixers, you got to be careful of that corner ball because I already got one Joel Embiid crying meme, and I would love to see a second. Yeah, that's the biggest thing is Joel Embiid is going to be impossible to match up for for the Raptors. Or not impossible, but it's it's not going to be easy. James Harden, I still don't trust if you need to make a shot. He's still one of the best scorers in the NBA, and there's no doubt about that. But I, I, I just don't see him getting it done, and it matters. And the thing is, is we've seen... Great coaching by Nick Nurse in the playoffs. The box plus one against Steph Curry. Like he knows things to do and things that people are like, oh, no, that's not going to work. And he makes it work because he gets buy in from these players. Guys like Freddie, guys like Siakam, who we've seen get it done when they need to. You got a guy like Scotty Barnes. I am not doubting Scotty Barnes that he's not a playoff competitor. You watch the way he yeah. pisses off LeBron. You don't think that he's going to piss off and beat or harden a little bit. Like this guy's just unbelievable. Just adds to this team. We have winners on this team. Personally, the 76ers are the better team. They should win this series. But by no means am I going to doubt this Raptors team. Their coaching staff, these players, these winners who we've seen win against the 76ers team, I'm not going to doubt them because this team's been exciting. They've got it done before. So I've watched Joel Embiid not get it done before. James Harden hasn't done shit. So 
I'm looking forward to the series because I think the Raptors can win it. I'm going to tell you this right now. Maybe this is an unpopular opinion. 2019, the Raptors were not the best team in the NBA that year. Nope. They were not the second best team in the NBA that year. I would even argue they were not the third best team in the NBA that year. You can look at the conference standings and say whatever you want, but going into the playoffs, yeah, they got on a run. They Kawhi just went unreal. And they but they bought in as a team. The coaching was excellent. The schemes that they ran up, helpful that Kevin Durant got hurt in the finals. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say that wasn't helpful because it definitely was, because he came back one game and you saw what he did. But they are not strangers to being underdogs. And not only that, you mentioned you, you mentioned that they have winners. Yeah, they do. And when you win, you especially guys that are still on the team, you're able to pass down that winning pedigree. And that's not something you could teach, right? The one thing that Kawhi did for this team more than any other player, and you could say, well, Lowry's the greatest Raptor of all time. I 100% agree. But Kawhi Leonard taught this team, in my opinion, how to win. Showed them the pedigree how to win. Showed Lowry what he needed to do that season. Hey, this is what you need to do. It was a great leader for that team and made these guys better. And now you've got guys like Pascal, uh, Pascal Van Vliet, who now get they get to pass this on to guys like Scotty Barnes, uh, Achua, like a whole bunch of other guys uh, that are now going to be able to, now you're in that role. Like this is your time. So I, I do not, I again, I'm not going to sit here, as I said, in my head, it's the Sixers. In my heart, it's the Raptors. Am I going to be shocked if the Raptors win this series? Absolutely not. Not a chance. If they win this in seven, I am not going to be shocked. If they win this in six, I'm not. I mean, I'd be a little more surprised, but I'm not going to be shocked. If they lose, I'm also okay with that because this is, again, if you look at in terms of the progression, you win in 2019. In a sense, you go all in. 2020 was a bit of a write-off year. Everything was just, just a disaster. 2021, again, same kind of thing. Like, everything wasn't completely solidified. Like, we were playing in... Um, like we were in Florida for some of it. Like it was just ridiculous or all of it. Sorry. And like, this is really the first year that we we've had where we're back home. And by the way, the Raptors were five games out of first in the East. And you're telling me that they're going to get swept or have no chance to get to six Sixers. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. They've had five, five games. They've had terrible injury luck all season too. Like everyone's been injured on their team. I know it's the NBA and everyone's injured. Everyone's on rest management or whatnot, but the Raptors have had terrible luck. This team's coming together. We've seen what this atmosphere in the ACC or sorry, Scotiabank arena can bring for a Raptors game. Jurassic park will be back Saturday night. It will be alive in Toronto. So we are ready for the Raptors run and I'm not counting this team out again. I can't see them beating the heat in the East, but anybody else I could see them beating. So it's going to be a fun run. Hopefully they can get through a series or two and really have a fun time because there's nothing better than watching Toronto Raptors basketball in the playoffs, watching Jurassic Park. I'm excited. Raps currently plus four and a half on the spread and are plus 165 on the money line. First game is in Philly. Just so everybody's aware. I don't know. I don't really think there's much of a difference on the spread or the money line, to be honest. I'd probably take the value on the money line over the four and a half. That's just me personally. But anyway, there you go. That's the Raptors report. I really fired up about that because I've read so much shit the past couple of days. I'm like, I can't believe what we're talking about here. Like, So fair. By the way, both both sides too, by the way. Sorry to interrupt, but both sides too. I mean, like there's Toronto people who are saying like, oh, like blah, blah, blah. Like we know what happened to Sixers last. Okay, like we got to be realistic here. It's okay to be realistic. You're not any less of a fan if you have a head on your shoulders. But... The same thing goes for the, the U.S. media, man. Like, okay, let's just calm down here. What the fuck have the Sixers won? Nothing. Not, well, in their history, something. But not anything in recent history. You know what they've done? Lost to the Raptors in Game 7 in 2019. How you like them fucking apples? Anyway, there you go. Okay, now I'm done. So, <laughs> 58 goals. is Going to get to 60, right? Matthews? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. 70? No. 65. Okay. Uh, 65 is a chance. I mean, the only reason I think... So 70 is out of reach because if you look at his goals per game, like, what is he at? Point eight. Yeah, he, he needs to improve it drastically. And it's, it's already yeah, he has to. Yeah. So, I mean, is it possible? And nah, what does he have left? Nine, in, sorry, eight, including tonight? 
That's not happening. It's not scoring no, twelve. Not, they, <laughs> they have nine. They have nine. Sorry, there's nine games left, including the night. There's seventy. This is their seventy fourth game. So he's got yeah. So the, and he has not scored tonight. So he's going to have eight games. Assuming he scores one tonight, he's got eight to get eleven. Like I mean, it's possible. It's unlikely. I think sixty five is in reach. Sixty is a lock. If he doesn't score two games, here's the thing. If he doesn't score two goals in the next eight games, then I'm really concerned. Yeah. So here's the thing that's driving me a little crazy. It seems to think if he gets 60, he's a lock for the heart. Toronto media, like fan sports. I don't even like that he's a lock for the heart considered anyway, but whatever. We've seen guys get 60. Sam Kosa and Ovechkin have both got 60. We've seen somebody get 65. Ovechkin got 65. He did get the heart trophy that year. Deservingly so. We've seen this though. This is my biggest argument against Matthews for the heart. He's in the top three. There's no doubt in my mind right now. He's in the top three. Roman Yossi could get to 100 points as a defenseman for Nashville, who nobody thought was making the playoffs, and they're going to make the playoffs, and Roman Yossi puts up 100 points, which we've never seen personally from a defenseman. In my lifetime, there's not been a defenseman to get 100 points for a team who wasn't supposed to make the playoffs. And then you argue, he plays a ton of minutes too. Not that Matthews doesn't. But Roman Yossi is the most important player on that team by far. He's their captain. He's the number one defenseman on that team. I'd argue a number one defenseman could be more important than a number one center. You can get into that argument pretty significantly. But Roman Yossi is a massive different maker. And he, to me, if he gets 100 points, he's the lock for the heart. But I'm getting a little little fed up with Toronto media saying that if, oh, if Matthews gets 60, he's a lock. We've seen that before. We haven't seen a guy get 100 points before as a defenseman. I think the bias is, is that he's just done it in not that many games. Yeah. I think that's the big thing because he's only played 67. So like thus far, he's only played 67. So I think that's the bias. Um, I mean, Yossi's got to get 13 points in nine games. So it's there yeah, it's for sure. Great on po- I think the, I think the big thing holding him back is that I think that he's, he's going to be a lock for the Norris. The, yeah. The Norris, he's a lock. So, I think that kind of holds him back a little bit, which is like, well, we, we saw this in the, in the NCAA, right? The whole, the, the goalie, the goalie won the Hobie Baker or whatever his name was, you know, this better than me, but the goalie won the Hobie Baker and then didn't win the goalie, yeah, the Mike Richter the best goalie. like that. Like, this is what I'm saying, right? Is is like, I just feel as if like voters do not like making somebody like multiple kind of award winner in that sense, because they have to basically, I mean, if, if they're, if, if they're at Ross, they're at Ross or if they're whatever, if they're like if they're the top scorer, you don't have a choice, but to go like heart and Norris, you're like, okay, like for, let's just give him the Norris and we'll give the heart to, to an offensive. I, I, I don't think that makes sense. Yeah. My only argument necessarily, yeah, like my only argument there is when do you get a forward that doesn't at least win the rocket or the art Ross? So they're already getting an award as well. Because if you, I don't, I don't imagine you could have a forward win the Hart Trophy and not win Art no, Ross I know, or that's, Rockets. So I, I get that, but that's, but that's also not an opinion. No, award. no, they're not an opinion award, but right. So I think that's where the bias is. I think, in my opinion, is is like okay, so Norris is an opinion award. Now, obviously, it's based off stats, blah blah blah. But in the end of the day, like you could vote whoever the heck you want. If the media wanted to vote Mo Sider as the Norris winner, <laughs> he'd win. Stats and everything aside, like that's just what would happen. But so I think that's kind of where it's at. I don't like that Matthews is they're saying that he's locked for the heart. I don't because I just I just think that it's so like it's very and as as I've talked about, like I'm very level headed, generally speaking, when it comes to the Leafs. Like obviously I have my own biases, but this is just one of those things where I look at it and I agree. I say I don't how like is it impressive what Matthews has done? Absolutely it is. What like nobody's denying this. Even the biggest Leafs haters, and you're a Habs fan, like the biggest Leafs haters are still saying that, like, this is an impressive run. And he's gonna win the Rocket. I don't there's no doubt about that. But I just I just don't know. Like I, I think is he in the running? For sure. Is it a lock? I mean, this is this goes this just reminds me of like if I'm looking at an NFL game and like we make blocks all the time. And you know, sometimes there's locks of locks. That we talked about, like this is a double lock, a lockety lock, and then there's locks that were like, uh, might go another way, but we're gonna say it's a lock just because it sounds good, right? So, I don't know. That's kind of where I'm up with that. Yeah, and I, I, I hope he wins. Yeah, it. I kind of agree. Like this is one of two most impressive goal scoring seasons I've ever seen. Ovechkin 65 and what Matthews is doing this season are the two most impressive goal scoring seasons I've ever seen in my lifetime. 
And does he deserve to be in the hurt discussion? A hundred percent. But Roman Yossi is also putting up probably the most impressive defensive season I've ever seen. And Chesterkin's right there for goaltending stats, right with Price's Hart Trophy winner. So to say he's a lock is just, I think, overdoing it. Again, we're in Southern Ontario. So we hear a lot of Leafs talk. We hear a lot about that. So again, and I, I'm I'm going to be a little biased. Like Matthew's season is super impressive, but I don't want to see him win it. I do not want to see well, Austin fair. Matthews win the Hart Trophy. But yeah, that's fair. Because you're going to have Matthews win the Hart and then you're going to have Vladdy win the MVP. Like I, it's like... <laughs> Two Toronto sports teams with an MVP? Like, when does that happen? Speaking of that, Burke, are you ready to get into an interesting discussion? Yes, we've kind of already had this discussion this week, but we need to put it on paper. I'm ready. So we've had this in our group chat going pretty heavily. Who is the greatest of all time in each sport? And it can get heated depending on the sport. So we just thought we'd touch base on who we think is the GOAT of each sport. We'll start it off pretty simple. We'll start it off with the NHL, Burke. Gratsky. Yeah, I don't think there's any argument here. Uh, the only point I brought up is McDavid is the most skilled player of all time I've ever seen. The things he does on the ice, skill-wise, just pure skill, I've never seen before. I know people will be like, oh, Trevor's Egress. No, McDavid just all around, way more skilled than I've ever seen. But Gretzky's the greatest of all time. And there's no doubt, there's really not much of an argument there. The only argument you'd hear is Bobby Orr, really. Kind of different position, different era, but Gretzky. Mario Lemieux, dude, he's got to be number two. I think I know Bobby Orr's definitely had a Lemieux for that. Lemieux's Lemieux's career was just too short. I think between the cancer and stuff like that, I just think his career was too short to be considered number two. Uh, Bobby Orr, and then you even see Gordy Howe. I see more often than I see Lemieux. So, ooh, but uh, spicy. Yeah, I mean the Matt Messier. No, no, he's one maybe the greatest leader of all time in the NHL, but. Yeah, I mean Messier. Oh, that see there you go. That I like that. The greatest leader ever. Just talks to the papers and said we're winning this game down in the playoffs and puts the Rangers on his back or was it the Oilers? I forget. Rangers. I was not even born then. I think it was yeah. It was it was yeah. He was already off the Oilers by then I think. But puts it on his back and gets this, the job done. This is why the leadership award in the NHL is the Mark Messier award because he's the greatest leader. But we don't really have much of an argument here. Wayne Gretzky is the great. Is there actually a Mark Messier yes. award? I actually did not know. It, that it's a, it's like I think it's only like five years old. It's a newer award, but oh okay. yeah, okay, okay, okay. How, who votes on that? It's media, same thing. That's fucking horseshit. Sorry, like I think okay. So okay, I know we're gonna get into this more. Here's why that that is bullshit. How in the hell do media people know who the best leader is? I'm I'm not too sure. Like, they're not, I mean, they'd be like, well, we're in the room doing interviews. That's garbage, man. Nobody knows that. I just think, you know, like around it. So I'll go through it here. It's way, wow, way older award than I thought it was. 2007. I've never heard of this. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that old. Chris Chelios, (laughs) Matt Sundin, Jerome McGinla, Sidney Crosby, Zdeno Chara, Shane Doan, Daniel Alfredson, Dustin Brown, Jonathan Taze, Shea Weber. Okay. Nick Felino. What? 2017, Nick Felino, Columbus Blue Jackets. Dude, what? What? Which one of these names stands? Now let's out? throw you even further off, Burke. 2018, Derek England. Get out of here. 2019, Wayne Simmons. Get out of here. 2020, Mark Giordano. Oh my god. And 2021, Patrice Bergeron. So not gonna argue that. One. Okay, that I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. That is like this is what okay they had they had me going there for so long and then they threw in those names and like no disrespect to those guys at all I actually do think Mark Giordano is a good leader member of the Toronto Maple Leafs right now I like legit I think he's probably but like the best get out of here I think that's what is no offense but that's just a stupid award if it's voted like that the problem with that is is that like what you get the players to vote like the players are obviously going to vote for the guy on their own team but then why why wouldn't you like at least have it at a tiered process. Like have say like media get to pick like the top three and then the players get to vote on the top three. I don't know. Like it's, it's not that big of a community. Everybody knows everybody. Anyway, moving on. NBA Burke. I actually think we're on the same page on this one. Michael Jordan for me. Uh, just, okay. It's definitely Michael Jordan. I don't want to hear this garbage about anything else. Okay. So here's, and, and people are going to disagree and that's fine. So Jordan, uh, 
over their career, career average, 30, 30.1 points, 6.2 rebounds, 5.3 assists per game. LeBron James, 29 points, 7.7 and 6.3. Kobe Bryant, 25, 5.2, Okay. Jordan was six-time final MVP, six-time NBA champ, and was the MVP five times. I'm not going to bring in all-star, all-NBA. Why don't we talk about that? LeBron James, four-time NBA champ, four-time finals MVP, uh, four-time NBA MVP. By the way, Jordan was five. And Kobe was five-time champ and the MVP twice and the NBA MVP once. So... You could say, wow, LeBron, NBA champion four times and won the MVP every single time. That's amazing. Yeah, except for Jordan did it six times. Jordan did it in a time frame that was a, a lot harder. And I don't want to hear this garbage about how, oh, well, like, it's just a different type of basketball. Yeah, it was. It was harder to play in. Like, sorry, like the three-pointer was not used nearly as much. Oh, LeBron still dominated. Yeah, he did. So did Jordan. Yeah. Like, that's that's just it. Like, I, I don't know what you – like, well, I mean, the only argument that I don't like with all of this is, like, well, Jordan did it by himself. Well, no, he didn't. He Jordan had super teams too. Jordan. Like, Jordan has had Pippen and Dennis Rodman and, like, really good players. Yeah, Jordan had a super team that was built around him and because of him. LeBron couldn't get it done in Cleveland, so he went and built a super team in Miami with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. Again, argue Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, not where Scottie Pippen, Rodman were. We can argue that. No. But LeBron went chasing rings and making super teams where Jordan had that come to him and he built the team around him and he was a huge part of that. LeBron then couldn't get it done, ended up getting it done the second year in Miami, then goes back to Cleveland, gets them to trade for people, tries to do that again, then he goes to LA. He just goes and builds these super teams, destroys the franchise for a few years, and he just couldn't get it done. If he stayed in Cleveland and got it done, I would have a huge different respect for LeBron. If he stayed in Cleveland, even like if he won six and six, like six and six in Cleveland is what you're saying, like same or like even four. And yeah, four even if he had similar to what he did, but he did it in Cleveland and he brought that team to him and did that instead of chasing super teams and chasing rings, I would have felt way better about it. But the way it's been done, no, Jordan's the greatest of all time. You see it everywhere. I mean, again, we'll we'll mention this one too. Space Jam, far superior to Space Jam two, not even close. I think. I think that's the most important yeah, that's, thing. That's that's got to be like right at the top of the list if we're ever like go discussion in all the major media outlets. It's got to be Space Jam one way superior to Space Jam two. If it was splitting hairs, and it came down to acting, and I would like to say I think Jordan had a better baseball career. Yep, I mean there's not really an argument there, <laughs> although not very successful. I mean Jordan did Jordan have a better baseball career than Tim Tebow? That's my that's I'm, I don't I know, think this so. is a cross. I think reference. Tim Tebow actually probably really? had a better. I have to look that up now. I'm curious, but I won't look it up right now. But anyway, we're on the same page, and like this is one of those arguments, and like this is one of the things that we've talked about. Is like, you're never gonna solve this argument because. People, like there's, there's just people in every single camp. No matter what you say, they're just gonna not acknowledge it. There is recency bias with LeBron James. That's all I will say from an outsider's perspective. Is that if you were born in the '90s, early '90s, mid '90s, whatever, like you grew up watching LeBron James. Yes. Right. So you're obviously gonna think that he's a stud because all you would have seen of Jordan is him playing for the Wizards. (laughs) Yeah. Right, like let's be, let's call a spade a spade here. Like Jordan was was before us, so all you get to see is highlights and people talking about it. You just, like look at the Last Dance and all this shit. Like you don't get to actually see. Like if you ask anybody who was born prior to prior to eight uh, nineteen eighty five, they're like, ah, Jordan's best ever. Yeah, there's no doubt. Dare you to find? Dare you to find somebody who was born prior to nineteen eighty five who's like, yeah, LeBron? Nobody. No. Tweet me at, at Zach Burke over six if you think so. Seriously, like I, I just, I just don't see it personally. But yeah, this anyway. is this recency, recency bias is yeah. a thing, and this is the one that keeps getting everybody going because a lot of people in our chat think it's LeBron, or we've even heard Kobe, but it's Jordan. So enough of that. I mean, Kobe's a stud. Don't get me wrong. Like if you look at these stats, you could argue like Kobe won five NBA championships. Now he had like Shaq and other guys too, but I don't know. You, I mean, nobody in the league right now is like, yeah, I I, I idolized LeBron growing up. Not, no. I mean, they're all they all still stay Kobe, all of them. Who, who do you idolize your game after? Uh, Kobe. Yeah. Bryant. When, when we're shooting paper into the trash can, we don't say LeBron, we say Kobe. Now, if I miss, I say Westbrook. No, you're not. You're not allowed to say that. 
Uh, I hear that he gets mad if yeah, you say it's that. Too insensitive. His kids don't know what to do about it. I know. Anyway, NFL. NFL. Brady, right? Unfortunately, got to be Brady. I don't. I don't see any way around it. It's uh, what he's done and what he keeps doing at his age. And yeah, he's built a team around him to be successful. But everything he's done from that Michigan to where he's been now, it's got to be Brady. And it pains me to say it, but I don't really think there's much of an argument here. Unless you start getting into defensive, which I don't know enough about defensive players, or if you talk about a lineman's the greatest player of all time, it's Tom Brady. I think Lawrence Taylor or somebody. Joe Theismann. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's always lots of people who would argue, like, can a Jerry Rice be up there or Joe Montana? But no, it's it's Tom Brady. Let's let's move on. <laughs> I don't want to talk too yeah, much. I don't, yeah, really. I don't want to talk too much about Tom Brady. <laughs> I definitely don't want to talk about Tom Brady uh, being the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins or the that. owner. Um, no, I don't. No, I don't hear about that. Well, I mean, if he's the owner, actually, I don't really care because whatever. Like, if you want to bring winning pedigree to the Miami Dolphins, I'm all for that. Just get the fuck off my field. I don't, I don't want. I don't want that. The next Sorry. greatest of all time. We don't really want to talk about either. Tennis. No. Yeah, I mean. <sighs> It's so unfortunate because I actually do feel as if like timing wise, this, this worked out horribly because Roger Federer is still my boy forever. And always, that's who I grew up watching. Like when I played in high school, like I wore the red band, the red Nike bandana, like that's was my guy. And I think that if fed was five, six years younger and grew up with Djokovic, that it would have been close or closer. Yeah. Like, if all three of those, let's just say all three, the big three, Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic all started at the same time, they probably still have similar championships, but I really do think that Fed probably gets it done. I just, I don't know. Maybe that's my own personal bias. Djokovic has shown that he's just been dominant, but like, look when his wins start. Yeah, they started, they started more towards the tail end of Nadal and Federer, and they've kind of, they've all kind of been slightly different, but they've all been similar, but... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sitting here too, and I want to say Federer really badly, but at the end of the day, I, it's going to be Djokovic, and it's got to be Djokovic, and he's just on pace to do it, and it's it's hard but to it argue. Has to be, because it's numbers, numbers alone, it has to be Djokovic. It has to be like you can't argue anything else, right? Because right now, Nadal and Federer, I think, are tied for majors. So, like. You could even argue Nadal's better. Now, Nadal's, I think, is a little different because he's won like 18 French or something stupid. Like, that's all. Like, he's won a billion French opens, which he just dominates. So, what if you want to take, if you want to say, well, yeah, but I mean, likewise, though, Federer's won a billion Wimbledon. Like, that's just kind of the reality of, of tennis on different surfaces, right? Like, different guys perform better on different yeah, surfaces. Yeah. And Nadal's starting to be, or no, Djokovic is starting to be the most well rounded on all of them. Again, it's still, you're getting to the end. The end of the clay dominance by Nadal, so I think that's going to help. But yeah, you could argue to me it's down to Federer and Djokovic. Nadal, sorry, you're out of it. And at the end of the day, if you ask me in two years, it's probably no question it's Djokovic. But we can still hold out a little bit of hope for Federer. Novak Djokovic. It's, I don't even remember the last time Fed's played. Yeah, I don't know anymore either. He's I. I mean, he's done. I think it's pretty obvious. But golf. Um, well, it's Tiger. Yeah, it's not even close. It's Tiger. I mean, this is like the worst debate ever in the history of ever because we have like the <laughs> the most odd. I mean, the problem is, is like the goats are the goat. I mean, Tiger is 100% the goat. I think the more interesting topic is number two, but nobody cares about number two. Oh, it's two. Jack. Well, we know it's Jack. Yeah, it's – yeah. Like, it ha- like, like, obviously. My biggest – but this is where, like, I would love to have, sorry, I, I love to have the conversations where, like, if Jack and Tiger were playing at the same time, like, you know what I mean? Like, if, if you were, like, if you put these guys on par, right? Like, and even going back to hockey, you say, okay, you put Gretzky with today's equipment, today's fitness, like, with today's game, is he better than McDavid, right? Like, these are the conversations, I think, that are, like, you, you, you will never figure this out, ever. But that's what I'm interested in. Yeah, I mean, you get you get Gretzky saying that he could never compete in it, but I mean, I'd assume he would have had the same training and everything as all these guys and kind of grew up the same way, so it's hard to say. But here's the thing about Tiger. Tiger is the most dominant male athlete of all time. There's no question in my mind. What he did in 2001 was just absolutely insane. Like, we're talking about how good Scotty Scheffler is this year. 
So when they talked about official world golf ranking points, he's at 10.01, which is impressive. Phil in set was second place in 2001 at 13.15, which is crazy impressive. Like that's so good. You're going accumulating so many points. Tiger was 32.44. That's more three times than what Scotty Scheffler is doing this season. Tiger is the most dominant athlete in any sport male. The only argument I could have for any other sport or any other person is Serena Williams. She's the only person who I think can match how dominant Tiger was in his prime. Jack Nicholas was never that dominant. Official world golf rankings weren't quite the same, but Tiger was just the most dominant athlete at that time. You see how much he won the Masters by 12 strokes. It wasn't even close. In 97, like he was so young. That was his first major. Tiger was the most dominant athlete in any sport all time. That's that's it. So when you're when, you, when you're talking about it, it's yeah, Tiger's the greatest of all time, and there's not much of a question there. I did like what our buddy Luke threw out in our chat too. He did say that shout out. Um the gap between Tiger and Phil was bigger than Phil and us sitting on the couch. I thought that was yeah, it's it's just absolutely insane. Like <laughs> like like come on. Like well, that's just so ridiculous. Like that that actually it, like shockingly gives me hope that I'm going to be good at golf one day. No. Like I'm closer to Phil than Tiger. Phil is the Tiger. But no. I mean, it's over. I've given up the dream. Any any other sports you want to touch on, Burke? I did want to mention the women because I yeah. think that's important. Serena Williams, obviously the most dominant, like not even just tennis. I mean, she's just the most dominant female athlete. Yeah, there's ever there's no doubt. I, I don't, I, there's, I mean, there's zero discussion on that in my opinion. Um, again, watching tennis, I mean, we've been extremely lucky just in the timeline that we've grown up uh, to be able to watch uh, people like Tiger, Federer, uh, Djokovic, um, Serena, like all these people where, you know, and, and you can say, yeah, okay, well, there's people that are good in the past. Yeah, they are, but they did not put up these kinds of numbers. Like we have really lived in the golden age of sports, um, even hockey where you can say Crosby, Ovechkin. I mean, you could say, yeah, okay, Gretzky and Messier and Lemieux and all those guys, but we really have grown up in, a, in an amazing time period of sports and Serena Williams, just out of all women, unbelievable in terms of her dominance. You, you just knew when she was in her prime, it didn't matter. Venus too. I mean, shout out to, to, her, to Venus Williams too. I mean, it, if it wasn't Serena, it was Venus. It was one of them. One of the Williams sisters was winning the majors or all the tournaments. Like it didn't matter. I just, it was, you might as well just put Williams in and then just leave a bit of extra space for Venus or Serena. Actually, you could do the, um, yeah. I mean, you could just basically, yeah, leave a little extra space, a couple extra letters and you're good to go. Like that's all you have to do. I'm sure they did. Yeah, that. I think I think women's sport. It's tougher to talk about the greatest of all time. Women's sports, for the most part, aren't quite as popular. Tennis is an easy one to do. I mean, if I did a lot more research, I could probably give you an answer for golf. But it kind of comes and goes. We've seen some really dominant years by certain people, and it seems to come and go. I mean, soccer. It's Christine Sinclair. Well. I mean, if I said otherwise, uh, I, I might get. I might greatest goal scorer of so. all time. So uh, she's got to be. Canadian goal scorer of all time, Christine Sinclair. Not even just women's, women's and men's greatest Canadian goal scorer ever. But yeah, like Serena Williams is just, again, she's the only other person I'd consider the most dominant athlete of all time, along with Tiger. And it's just crazy impressive what she did. And yeah, I don't really have much more to touch on that. No, I mean, that's just, it it just is what it is. I, I, yeah, but I, I think that's important, right? I think, I mean, there for sure have been women who have been absolutely polarizing for sure um and and just absolutely dominated um that for sure the only i'm trying to think of the only other person that you could talk about i mean lindsey vaughn and skiing i guess yeah I mean, that's a little far, far out of my that's a little that's a little i mean this is getting into territory where i don't know a whole bunch but i mean lindsey vaughn was an unbelievable skier um before she had like a trillion injuries hey and she was uh she was with her boy pk yeah she's been she's been a little all over the place so did she date Tiger yep. too? She dated Tiger for a while there. Yeah. Just dating champions. Champions, pre-champions. Uh, pre I like it. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, hey, if you want to come after us with our takes, and or if we missed anybody, feel free to let us know at uh, at over six sports. You can let us know. Um, but that's just kind of our brief our brief go. It's it just really come up in conversation recently. And uh, I mean, I'd love to be able to get more into kind of that secondary 
debate, right? Where we could talk about, you know, because I mean, I think the one thing is, is that when you have all these guys who are really the NBA is the only one that's super controversial over everything. I think that's the only one that you could have 20 different people on from three different time, like three different decades. And you might get an all, all get a different answer there. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's always, it's always good to have those combos, but uh, what about darts? I can't actually about, name, about, name uh, one dart player. Isn't it the guy with the snake tattoo? Know, Isn't he the... Like the same guy with the Mohawk? Yeah, I think it's the snake mohawk tattoo guy. <laughs> Shout yeah. out that guy. He's really good at darts. But anyway. Um all right, buddy. Anything oh, that's all. Here? I'm waiting for this Jay's get Jay's got coming start up? at eight thirty. Because it's rain delayed. That's Oh yeah, yeah, true, true. So I have time to get my bets in then or more bets in. Yeah, no, I got I got nothing. What else we got coming up? I mean, we got the uh, NFL draft is starting to come on to people's minds. You're seeing more and more around that. I know we'll have to get Jake on here because he has more research and I don't care anymore. With Miami only having like one one pick in the entire draft picks? and nothing in the first two rounds. Oh, no, I think is it three, one? Three picks. I think it's like. Okay. I don't know. Well, it's like a third so or fourth and two sevens maybe. Maybe have three. Skip, yeah, it's it's going to be. It. Yeah, skim yeah, through it anyway. I don't, I don't know why I bothered. I'm definitely not. I'm going to do the same research as I have in the past. So we're going to rely on Jake to step in, <laughs> help us out there. So uh, just other than that, just going to enjoy some Jays. Um, I don't know how much I'm going to get into the NHL playoffs. I'll try. Lots. Cheering for the Leafs. No this chance. Guy is. But the Raptors. We'll cheer for the Raptors. We will. And we have a lot of uh, playoff stuff to break down as we come uh, – as as we kind of come into it, obviously as more stuff pops up, uh, we'll definitely uh, definitely kind of get into that. Um, yeah, I mean Cam Smith is winning the RBC Heritage right now, so by two strokes. So good for that guy. Yeah, one week too late for my bets this week. So yeah, thanks a lot, fucking Cam Smith. What's wrong with you? Anyway, as always, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at over six sports at Zach Brick over six and at C Charlton Turf. I'm Zach DeBanda Burke, and with me as always, just Cameron Charlton and the Turf King Charlton. Thanks for listening to Number Six Sports. We'll talk with you next week. <laughs>